1: selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers and this is the taylor stevens show with my good friend steve campbell where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time
0: taylor i i was on facebook the other day which doesn't happen very often and i went into the taylor stevens fan club page and i have to say at times it looks like an animal husbandry (laughs) Everybody keeps posting. <laughs> There's so many things about geese and goats. <laughs> goats. I know that,
1: this has turned into like a let's have a geese and goat meme page thing, uh, which is good because it keeps the group running when I'm like head down, nose to to the page, doing other stuff. But I, I haven't really posted a lot in there about the babies. But my geese have started laying again, which is interesting uh, because last year. I had God, it's only been a year. it feels like a lifetime ago I'd collected all of the American buff geese and put them separate so that they wouldn't intermingle, and that I knew I would have buff baby you know the pure purebred purebred animals and um because I want more buff geese for myself, they're hard to come by and they don't lay very many eggs. And then I had startled them and they laid like eight eggs, the whole, that was it. And I got two babies out of that. So now I don't have, the I don't have the time to deal with it. You know, I, I can't go put, if I put them up, then that means I got to take care of making sure that they're fed and watered and it's just so much more work. And I just don't have the ability to do that anymore. So they've all just been free ranging together as one big happy flock. But an interesting thing happened on the way to breeding season, which is when they all get very aggressive, is they kind of separated in a whole birds with a feather will flock together sort of thing. And so I knew, I knew they were laying eggs, but I didn't know where because I have, they, they used to go In the backyard, like there were some bushes in the backyard. That's where Francis and the other brown Chinese geese would go. But the buff geese never went there because they were locked Mm -hmm. in their kennels so they could be separate. So I knew they were laying somewhere. It's just that time of year. And finally, I found like a a little clutch of eggs uh, by the side of the house, like in some of the bushes. But I don't I can't tell which of those buff geese are girls and which ones are boys. I don't know how many are laying. And so I'm thinking maybe I must have two girls because the buff geese tend to only go in that nesting area. And then the Chinese geese still try and get back into the backyard. They can get between the fence panels, you know, if they find the right way. And so there have been two laying areas for the two separate types of geese. And so I think just based on the eggs that I'm seeing, I've got two, two girls that are laying. So I'm collecting them. And yes, I'm going to hatch them. And... I'm gonna probably sell most of what I hatch because I need the money, um, and and I, I have to. They're babies. I have to have baby keys. <laughs> I just have to.
0: It, but are I these like emotional support keys for them. you?
1: Uh, she puts in heavy. Th- yes, yes, it's exactly. I put these in heavy finger, heavy finger quotes. I won't keep very <laughs> many of them. <laughs> I just think they're beautiful and they make me happy and. They're uh, also good guard animals. Uh, You know, they they start alerting before the dogs even do. I I will have them for as long as I can have them.
0: It wouldn't be spring at your house unless there were baby geese in the house.
1: I know. And then Ferrari's out in the store, the goat shed area. She's going to have a baby or babies any day. So I keep going out there to check on her now, too. So there'll be more goat babies, too. So it's just, you know. Spring has sprung.
0: Almost. Well, February 16th. Is it actually nice? Is the weather nice there?
1: Well, Texas weather is very um, indecisive. It, It swings back and forth between winter and spring multiple times before it finally makes up its mind. It got very warm in like January, which is coldest month of the year and then it got very cold and now it's back to warm and now it's back to cold. So it's yes, sometimes, sometimes it's nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you said spring has sprung. So I thought maybe uh, you were out laying in the backyard on a lounge chair or something. Oh yes. and Sipping Mai Tais.
1: Oh yeah. That totally sounds like me. That That is absolutely something I would not do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but something you would do was to have a topic for us and to explain what we're going to be talking about today.
1: Yeah, one would hope.
0: <laughs> so One would hope, yes.
1: It's a, a quasi-topic today, and it kind of ties into last week's discussion when you asked questions about Story Bible, and we got on to how I would use a Story Bible, and it, I have this quote that was sent to us uh, by Carl uh, some time back, but I hadn't had a chance to use it for a show. And I thought, okay, this, this really works. It ties into last week's episode, and it offers the ability to discuss further. So this what I was sent was a couple of paragraphs from Elizabeth McCracken, the hero of this book, which is technically a novel, but also sort of a memoir. and. Here's what the quote says. It makes a difference how tall people are, how short, how much they weigh, how they move, how it feels to be them, temperature, hips, itch, swoon. Young writers sometimes catalog every thought and emotion of a character without knowing their weight or their gesture. But if you don't take your character's bodies into account, your work is in danger of being populated by sentient, anguished helium balloons. I tell my students all the time, don't forget your character's physical selves. If your character feels distant, remember their specific gravity on the earth. If you know what a character is doing with her hands, you might know what she's doing with her head. If you know her feet, you may know her soul. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way of articulating so much of what we as authors sometimes struggle with in getting our characters onto the page. And I know we've talked about it before on this show as well, but I thought this would be an opportunity to go into it more, address it again, in that when when you're writing a story, especially if you are, I would say, a heavy outliner, not so much a pantser. But I think it could happen when you when you go by the seat of your pants too. You tend to think of what's happening to the character, what the character is doing. And especially if you are not writing heavily character-driven stories. I mean, all stories should be character-driven, but some of them require certain other elements whether they be mystical or paranormal or Thriller-esque or whatever, and, and those things sort of become what we know as the plot. And it it can be easy to focus on what how, what's happening next, what's happening next, what is my character doing, why are they doing it? And like this quote says, you you are fully aware of what's happening with the character's thoughts and their emotions and how that aspect of the character is interfacing with the world. But you can still end up with cardboard characters when those interfaces between character and the world become really more about what's happening and what the character's feeling or what what have you and and doesn't take into account or fails to take into full account mm-hmm. as Elizabeth McCracken says here their gravity on the earth and this ties back to the subject, and I know we've talked about this before, but I apologize, I don't know in which episode, about how, how a character looks is going to affect even how they interact with other people, like their personalities and so much of their expectations in life. Uh, using Monroe for an example, right, she's quite tall for a woman at five foot ten. And that has to be taken into account for everything that that she does. A, a five foot ten woman is not going to just disappear in a crowd the same way someone who is five foot two might. Um, if if she, it would make it so much easier for her to present herself as a as a male versus someone who's five foot two. But it would also make it harder for her to be cute and diminutive and play dumb or all the things that would be easier for someone small and tiny to pretend to be because of their childlike stature. So the the space that a person takes up in the world is going to in real life going to affect so much of what happens next. If a person is considered to be, for example, traditionally good-looking by cultural standards, then they become familiar with others reacting pleasantly to their presence. If you are good-looking and you approach a stranger, that stranger is going to be, just by default, by evolutionary wiring, more open and accepting to you approaching them than they would be to somebody who is considered traditionally less pleasant to look at. This is not the fault of the person who looks the way that they do. And I wish that as humanity, we were more higher evolved than that, but it is simply how it is. And as long as it is that way, then that means your characters also will interface with the world or should interface with the world based on their own physical characteristics. And when you forget those characteristics and you forget their mannerisms and you just have your characters do what you want them to do, what they need to do by the story without accounting for those types of little things, your story will probably still work, especially if you are tapped into the emotional aspects of the characters. But then you get that much more depth and you go that much further when those aspects the weight the gravity of the character and how they appear to others and their own internalization of that appearance and the way that it causes them to approach situations just without even thinking about it when you include that or you at least account for that in the way you write your characters, in the way you write your stories, you take that realism, that sense of this is a real living, breathing human being, you take it that much further onto the page and it it just does something. I don't even have a way to explain what it is, but it it's just so, so much richer. And once you see it happening on the page, it's sort of awe inspiring someone who 's done this incredibly well was Julia Heberlin in her her story that we 've talked about before on this show called We are all the same in the Dark and in that story it was dealing with prosthetics and it 's not like everything in this story revolved around prosthetics, but the details that the way the characters thought, the way they related to the world through their own just how they, how their bodies were is so tangibly real. You can't help but feel that you're reading about real characters is brilliantly done. and That's a really good example of it. And so anyway, I just thought, you know, we were already talking about story Bibles, this, how I would apply, how I would use one. And this quote just fit right into that. And I was like, okay, that is part of something that we should probably highlight and discuss, but that's all that I have on it.
0: I was reading a book um, over the weekend, I think, the second book in a series um, has to do with a group of retired detectives who live in a retirement community in Florida, and they're clearly using a place uh, up north of Orlando as the model for this. Uh, interestingly enough, the author is from England. Y- you, I assume she's from England because of some of the language that's used. And she gets almost everything wrong about Florida. Like, oh, you know, hilarious. she'll have a half hour drive from Miami to Orlando, that kind of thing. <laughs> but <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but the fact that they're retired detectives makes it, it really fascinating. So one of them is a retired uh, British detective. A couple of them. One's a, a CSI from uh, the United States. Another is... Uh, just a, a cop from the United States, and the others like a homicide detective from the United States. But one of the older women, um, in her internal dialogue, was expressing how when you're trying to tail someone, being an older woman is a great advantage because you're invisible. You're invisible, yes. And that's, a, <laughs> that's an interesting thought but that was it. There was no other instance through the course of the book where oh, yes. she felt like like the space that she took up in the world was diminished because she was an older woman. And okay, as you were yes. talking, I was just thinking how much richer that could have been. Her character could have been if she had expressed some of that in other parts of the book.
1: Absolutely. So that is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. And it, when, you, when you tap into that, it also gives you a chance to play with theme, like thematically, that that becomes that character's sort of theme that they run with. And, and if you're good at it, a few of us are, not even me, you can then tie that character's inner world into something larger in the story without overshadowing the larger story. It's just these little tiny gold veins running through the quartz that makes it that much more, that much more valuable. If that
0: it really does. And I'm I'm trying to think of books that I've read where there is a character who has a trait or is they just really play off the space that they're taking up in the world, and I can't. I can't really think of. Can't really think of anything. I think Spencer, to a certain extent, and you. I don't think you've ever read any of the Spencer books, but Spencer is big, and as well, Reacher's tall, another. He's in, big.
1: Okay, because
0: uh, not two well, tall of... and like Reacher. He's like okay. a Reacher character. Okay, and Reacher knows he's big and he sees the way the world reacts to him because of his size. So that's yes. that's an example of of using that, but I can't really think of many others. Um but it it's always fun when you when you read it and you you really do get to feel like you know a character a little bit more because of the way they're reacting to the way the world reacts to them.
1: Yes. Or that they it you can even do it in another way like let's say for example you have a character who was at one point not someone that you would consider to be traditionally attractive to look at but through either work or effort or surgery whatever they've they don't look the same way that they once did but they're still who they once were and even though that is not the 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 story like that's just who the character is. That's going to inter interfere, not interfere. It's going to change how that character relates to the world if you pull on it. Like if if you if you pull that out of them, you really think, well, how would a character who didn't used to be attractive? What would their opinion be of when they go to ask a favor of somebody? what's their expectation, that they're going to have to fight for their space, they're going to have to fight for their voice, that they're not being taken as seriously, or even the opposite extreme, let's say that there's a woman who is considered incredibly beautiful, or a man, no, it's mostly this would happen with a woman, incredibly beautiful, but finds that she can't be taken seriously, because people just assume that she got where she was because of her looks, or because she was, you know, sleeping with somebody or whatever, who goes to the effort of making herself look less attractive in certain situations. That also would play Mm. into Mm -hmm. the story and can be used in so many different ways to enrich whatever is going on in the actual story and make that person feel like a real living, breathing human.
0: All right. Well, that is our show for this week. Uh, So thank you for Thank you to Carl for sending that uh, that quote in that triggered this response from you, Taylor, where you wanted to talk about this a little bit. We will be back with you again next week. Thank you all for listening.
1: Thanks for being here, guys. You know.